Today is May 1st. You're probably wondering what in the world does May 1st mean. Well, there's probably some here today that maybe have a birthday, May 1st, or anniversary. Uh, I can tell you, uh, May 1st means that there's 238 days until Christmas. <laughs> See, I get paid to, like, do that stuff during the week. So Google, how many days until Christmas? 238 days. It's also a, a really cool day. Today is the launching of a, a brand new conservative, God-fearing denomination called the Global Methodist Church. And we're honored to have Jay Threll here who's uh, helping to launch this new denomination, giving oversight and leadership to the state of Florida and around the world. I was looking at his bio, you see it there in your notes, and, and he's going to have a lot of fans because he's wearing a Gator shirt. So, Jay, you've, uh, you, you've won over a lot of fans. But Jay's a, a, a cog pal, a child of God and a person of worth. And he is giving incredible leadership to the Global Methodist Church. And we are, uh, invited him to come on May 1st, and, and it's, it's a wonderful day. Jay's going to not only help us in our series on Psalms to give some insight into the, the book of Psalms to help us to have strength for everyday life, but he's also going to hang around for a couple minutes after church, and we're going to give free lunch to everybody. He's going to meet us in the, in the, in the fellowship hall, and he's going to hang around for questions and answers. We're going to have a wonderful time. If you haven't signed up, you can do that. If you didn't plan on coming and you still want to come, we're going to believe that God is going to multiply the subway subs. So come, be a part. We've already got over 80 people signed up to come to hear Jay uh, right after church. But we wanted him to come and to preach the gospel, anointed gospel preaching. Would you please give Jay Thrill a big Pine Castle welcome to Pine Castle United Methodist Church. God bless you, Jay. I appreciate it. Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to be with you today. And it is a momentous day, as Pastor Scott shared. It is the first day of a new denomination, the Global Methodist Church, and we are excited. I'm excited, so I don't usually talk about myself because I don't really like to do that, but, um, but I'm excited today because uh, the story doesn't matter, but I had, uh, had to give up my ordination before, uh, but today with the launch of the Global Methodist Church, uh, I'm ordained again, so that's a good thing too. So I, uh, I'm excited that I am ordained again after a, a period of time here. It kind of feels like coming home. Uh, I grew up in the Apopka area, and so I know Pine Castle well. Uh, grew up in Apopka, graduated from Apopka High School, and we have always kind of considered our home church to be Asbury United Methodist Church in Maitland. It's where my wife and I were married. We live now in the Jacksonville area with our son, but it is good to kind of be in my old stomping grounds again this weekend and to, to get to be down in the city beautiful. So thank you for having me. So when I was asked to come down and I was told that you all were in the middle of this series on the book of Psalms, I was excited because I got to pick the psalm that I was going to preach from. And so I picked a psalm that is one of my very favorites. It's Psalm 139. And I want to encourage you, I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. I'm only going to read verses 13 and, and 14 to you. But I want to encourage you to take some time this afternoon to read the entire psalm. It, it's not terribly long. It'll take you about 60 seconds to, to read the whole psalm. It's, it's not a long one. But it's a beautiful psalm. And it really speaks to what I'm going to be talking about this morning. It speaks to the soul. It speaks to 
who we are, being connected to God, as Pastor Scott already mentioned this morning, and then allowing God to rub off on us and to affect the very core and actually, as we'll talk about in a moment, the entirety of who we are and who we were created to be. So I'm going to read just verses 13 and 14 to you, but please go home this afternoon, or if you've got your Bible with you, if you have your phone with you and you have one of the Bible apps, you can pull it up there too, but read the whole psalm. But here's verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, I love these next words, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full or very well. And so may God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the obeying of his holy word. Let's pray together about that, shall we? Let's pray. Gracious God, oh, it's been powerful in worship already this morning. I feel anointed simply because I've gotten to be in this place where your Holy Spirit is, is so thick and so palpable through music, through prayers, through scripture, through an amazing time of leading us in song by the choir just a few moments ago. Lord, you are here, and we give you thanks for that. We want to worship you well today. So help us to come together as one giant praise team. The choir, the, the ushers, the folks sitting in the pews, me, everyone, all of us together. Help us to lift ourselves up to you. And may what we do here this morning put a smile on your face. And when we leave this place, because we've been in your presence and sung your praises, Lord, would you help us to be better prepared to be the masterpieces that you created us to be. And Jesus, as I always pray before I preach, would you hide me behind your cross as I talk now so that you would be the one that is seen and heard and not me. And as it has already been prayed and said this morning, would you help me to decrease and you to increase? Would there be less of me and more of you? And may that be true of all of us. And we ask this, Jesus, in your holy and your precious and your saving name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, friends, what comes to mind when you think of the word soul? Uh, I kind of laughed as I was thinking about that this week, because uh, this will kind of tell you a little bit about how I think. Um, the first thing that came to mind when I thought of, of soul were the old cartoons of Tom and Jerry. Tells you exactly who, who I am. So I was thinking about my son, and he's 17 now. He's a, almost finished his junior year, so he would tell you in about two weeks he'll be a high school senior. Um, and when he was little, he watched Tom and Jerry cartoons. Now, they were reruns. Actually, I think they were reruns when I was his age watching them, when I was a little boy. I'm not sure if they were reruns when my parents were or not. They probably got to see the originals, but they were reruns for me. But if, if you remember in the series, almost always 
Jerry gets the better of Tom. And oftentimes, he so much gets the better of Tom that Tom ends up dying in some way. And oftentimes, there's this little ghostly image of a Tom floating up, and he sits on a cloud, and he has a harp, and he's there kind of strumming. And for some reason, when I began to think of, of a soul, that's what came to my mind. Some people think of the word soul, and I think they hear conscience. I think others hear the word soul, and they think of their core values that kind of guide who they are and what they do. One of my favorite preachers, John Ortberg, he says this in his book, Soul Keeping. He says, in our day, soul language often conjures up images of herbal tea drinking, Birkenstock wearing, flower growing, scental candle lighting, conflict avoiding, granola crunchers. You have to kind of know John Ortberg, but that's classic him. Here's the reality, friends. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That is not what the soul is. The soul is what was being talked about by the psalmist in Psalm 139 in verses 13 and 14. The psalmist says, you are the one, he's talking about God here, you God are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. Those verses, they just kind of affirm the soul, and they talk about the fact that our soul is the, the very thing that God created that makes us us. And as we'll talk about in a moment, it's the very thing that when we connect to God through saying yes to Jesus Christ, it is, it is our soul that then begins to guide and direct our lives through Jesus and the Holy Spirit into the masterpieces we were created to be. That that's what the soul is all about. So they're really kind of, of three things that I'm going to invite you to think about. Not only during this message, but throughout the week. And you've got your sermon notes there. And the points will be on the screen, but they'll be in the notes as well. And feel free to, to take notes. And I will try my best to stay close to them so that you can follow along. But the first thing I want to kind of help us think about is just what is the soul? Did you know there was a doctor in the early 1900s who thought he had figured out how much the soul weighed? I don't know how he did this, but he had seven people that he somehow, I guess he would have had to have had them on a scale as they were dying. And he claimed that as they died, that the moment they died, they lost weight. And he recorded it, and he said those seven people, when they lost weight, they lost 22 grams, which is about three-quarters of an ounce. And he put forth that that was how much the soul must weigh, because it was the soul leaving the physical body, he argued, and that was what the soul weighed. Now, that's all been debunked, of course. You all know that, and you, you hear that. But um, we've been kind of obsessed with the soul over, over the centuries, um, Plato talked about the soul. You know, one of the great Greek philosophers. 
Plato put forth his argument that the, the soul would be reincarnated after we died. Now, as Christians, we know that's not true as well, but, but he put this idea forward that, that if you had lived a virtuous life, a well-lived life, that when you died, the soul was reincarnated and you would come back as something even better, maybe a, a wealthy person or a leader or a Florida Gator, something like that, <laughs> if you'd had a well-lived life. If you had lived a life that was not virtuous and one that was self-centered and bad, the, the soul would come back as well, but, but you might come back as a, a donkey or a Florida State Seminole <laughs> or or Georgia Bulldog, but, you know, I digress. You kind of see where that's going. So, one of my very favorite Christian authors, he was a pastor, he was a professor, he's gone now, he died a few years ago. You may, you may love him too, you may have read his books over the years, is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard's writing is the deep end of the pool. Uh, so when you read Dallas Willard, you're, you're kind of jumping into the deep end. But, but here's how Dallas Willard talked about the soul. And he defined what a healthy soul looks like. He said the really deep reason there is such value to your existence is because of this tiny, fragile, vulnerable, precious thing about you called your soul. You are not just a self. You are a soul. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You're a soul made by God, made for God, and listen to what he says next, and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. We were wired from the very beginning. You know, that Psalm 139 says we were knit together in our mother's wombs. We were knit together to be made for God and to need God. It's who we were created by him to be. And then Willard goes on to say this. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings. And oh, how we are governed by feelings these days. And folks who uh, ever go down the recovery path, they learn something that I think all of us need to learn, and that is that our feelings lie to us. And it's not that they aren't real and that we don't feel them, we do, but our feelings can lie to us, and Dallas Willard's reminding us of that. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self, the soul is the life center of human beings. So when we ask that question, what is the soul, to kind of put it in maybe a, a 21st century sort of analogy, 
I would kind of offer to you that the soul is kind of the operating system for our lives. If, if you have a computer, if you have either a Windows or a Mac, there's an operating system going on in the background. You don't ever inter- deal with it, although you are dealing with it simultaneously, but you don't go to it. And it's the thing that makes the entire computer and all the apps and the software on it, the hardware, the firmware, all of it run. And it's running silently in the background. And that's really what the soul is in our lives. If our souls had an operating system, or if our lives, rather, had an operating system, it would be our souls. And so Dallas Willard kind of put together a diagram of what that looks like. And I really, I really like it. So he would say that first comes in our lives the human will. And the will is really good at making kind of those those large decisions that we have. The will is not good at overcoming habits and nature. Now, we all have willpower, but we all have varying degrees of it. And while our will is good to kind of make those bigger decisions when it comes to, I'm on a diet, but oh, there's an Oreo. (laughs) The will becomes a little harder for us at times. And then in a, just a larger circle, Dallas Willard would, would say comes the mind. And for, for the earliest philosophers, the mind always included two facets. It included our thoughts, of course, but the mind also included our feelings. And so anytime the, the great Greek philosophers are talking about the mind, they're always talking about both components, both the thoughts that we think and the feelings that we have. And then, Willard said, kind of even larger than that encompassing everything is the body. And God's given us this body, and it's an amazing thing. The body does all sorts of amazing things every single day. I mean, think about all the breaths that your lungs are inhaling and exhaling, and how many beats your heart is taking over the course of an entire life. It's amazing when we think about these these bodies that God has given us. And then they even do the mundane things like steering a steering wheel as we drive to church or lifting up a fork to our mouth when we eat lunch or scratching an itch that we might have on us. Our bodies are just incredible. But Willard reminds us that our bodies are not the whole story. And so the last circle really is the whole story. The last circle is the soul. And if you notice, the soul encompasses all of those things. It encompasses the human will. It encompasses the mind. It encompasses our feelings and our thoughts. And it encompasses our bodies and what we do with them. And so that's why this soul becomes so important and how we treat the soul, and how we feed our souls, and what we connect our souls to becomes vitally important in the people that we have been created by God to be. So when we ask that question, what is the soul? This is the soul. It is that all-encompassing operating system that incorporates every facet of our lives, our wills, our thoughts, our feelings, and our bodies. That is the soul. So that leads me to the second thing that I would encourage you to think about, not only today, but this entire week as we move forward, and that is what is the connection of sin 
to the soul. What is the connection between the two? Because it, it gets very important. You know, we, we can say that our wills ought to be shaped uh, by the will of God and that our thoughts uh, should be on God and that our feelings hopefully are guided by God and that we use our bodies to be glorified God, hopefully, if we're using them in the, the right way. But friends, when we have an unhealthy soul, one that has been soaked in sin, the opposite becomes true of all that. We're not in the center of the will of God. Our thoughts go to places that they probably shouldn't be. Our feelings begin to take over our lives, and they even can begin to destroy our lives. We use our bodies to, to do things that are not glorifying to God. And all of it begins to sink our souls. And we get into this place as creations of God where we begin to feel very, very separated. That sin, it destroys the soul. And if the soul is the all-encompassing operating system of who we are, that means sin begins to have really bad effects on our lives very quickly. It's why, friends, there really are, are no bigger little sins. You know, we, we kind of categorize them in the secular side of things. You know, we have misdemeanors and felonies, if you will. But in God's economy, all sins are equal. My pride and self-reliance damns me as much as someone who commits genocide. It destroys my soul. And one of the best definitions that I know about soul, well, first I'll share with you what Ortberg says about it. Ortberg says, sin eventually destroys my capacity even for enjoyment. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? Can you think of someone whose soul might be sick in your life? Maybe it's you, I don't know. But can you think of someone in your sphere of influence whose soul might be sick do they have a hard time enjoying life? Are they getting life to the abundant and the fullness that God meant for it to be? So sin eventually destroys my capacity even for enjoyment, let alone meaning. It distorts my perceptions, alienates my relationships, inflames my desires, and it enslaves my will. Friends, to lose the soul, it means that we will become someone that we would never want to be. When we begin to lose our soul, when our soul begins to deaden, when it begins to get affected by sin more and more and more, it's when we look in the mirror and when, if we're being really honest, what looks back at us is not what we want to be. We're not living our lives in the way that God would want us to, and certainly not the way we would want us to. And friends, if we're really honest, there's no greater hell than that. So I had a professor in seminary who defined sin. I went to Asbury Seminary, and there's lots of definitions of sin, but I liked this one particularly. He would say that sin is anything that separates us from ourselves, from God, and from others. And I want you to think about that this week, that sin is whatever separates us from ourselves and from God and from others. And it really, I like that definition because it, it kind of lends itself well to this idea of the soul being the all-encompassing operating system that God has given us in our lives. 
and that when we do things, say things, think things, whatever it might be, that are not in God's will for us, that are not good for our thoughts and feelings to be connected with, that are not good for our bodies to be connected to, it begins to pull us away from who God created us to be, it pulls us away from God himself, and it pulls us away from all the other people in our own spheres of influence. Ortberg wrote this about sin, and I wanted to share it to you. He said, sin is not just the wrong stuff we do. It's the good we don't do. It's not just the wrong stuff we do. It's the good we don't do. And you can stick me at the top of that list. It's the starving children we don't want to look at. The volunteering we avoid. The poor we don't want to serve, and the money we don't want to give. He's going to get to meddling now. How can good church folk turn their backs on the people Jesus called the least of these? Diversion and collusion. First, we remind ourselves that we haven't committed the really bad sins, such as bank robbery or serial murder. And then we make a pact with each other. I won't call you on it if you won't call me on it. Ouch. That definitely indicts me. And I wonder if it might reach out to you. Sin destroys the soul. That's the connection of sin to the soul. So then that leads to the third and final thing that I want us to think about this morning. And and that is this. I want you to think about the relationship of the world to the soul. Um, Have you noticed something? The world has kind of replaced the word soul in our lexicon, and it's replaced it with the word self, S-E-L-F. It's replaced it with the word self, and the problem, as we've discussed, is they are not the same thing. The soul is much bigger than all of that, but the world is kind of equated the two to be together. And we have this focus these days on uh, self-happiness and on being uh, self-helped, picking ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we're successful if we can figure out how to solve our problems. And the problem with that, friends, is we can't save ourselves. But the world keeps trying to tell us that we can And all you have to do is go down to Barnes & Noble or do a search on Amazon and just search self-help and see the tens if not hundreds of thousands of volumes of books that will pop up immediately that you can purchase. We have spilled a lot of ink and we are spending a lot of dollars trying to focus on the self and pick up ourselves and make ourselves better. And we've stopped talking about the soul which if you talk about it, has to be connected to God. You know, there's this study that the Journal of the American Medical Association put out. This was fascinating to me. One of, uh, one of the leading psychologists, he's still alive, his name is Martin Seligman, um, one of the leading psychologists of our time, he's in his 70s now, he did all of his research at the University of Pennsylvania. Martin's Jewish. He, he does not have a Christian banner to carry. But you want to know what his research turned out? His research turned out that over the course of the 20th century, 
that people living in each generation were three times more likely to be depressed than the generation that came before them throughout the entire 20th century. So builders and then boomers were three times more likely to be depressed than builders. And Gen Xers, my generation, three times more likely to be depressed than boomers. Millennials, even three times more likely to be depressed than my generation, the Xers. And I'm fairly certain he would argue that Gen Z right now, my son's generation, is even three times more likely to be depressed than millennials are. Even though we know more about mental health than we've ever known in our entire lives, we have more medicines available to us to assist with that than we've ever had in the history of the world, and we have more counseling and all those sorts of things. And I'm not putting any of that down, by the way. I think all of that is vital and needed, and I think God gives us these people and and medicines and what have you to help us. But what he was trying to put out there is it's been the focus on the self that has increased through all that time, and as we've focused more on the self, we've gotten more depressed. It's not been a healthy thing. And this Jewish man actually theorized, I love this, he theorized it was because we had replaced the church, faith, and community with that tiny little unit, the self, that cannot bear the weight of the meaning that we're putting on it. This Jewish man telling us it's because over the course of the 20th and now 21st century, we have gotten rid of the church, faith, and community. He gets it. He gets it. That's the connection of the world to the soul and why we have to be so careful. And we have to remember that the church is here to shape and transform the world, not be shaped and transformed by it. And we have lost that, I would argue, and that we've got to recover it because it's vitally important to who we are. Um, there's an opera singer, his name is Scott Flaherty. Scott Flaherty kind of humorously said once, he said uh, this about singing the old great hymn, How Great Thou Art. He said, imagine singing, then sings myself, my Savior God to thee. It doesn't work, right? He said, imagine singing, Jesus, lover of my self, not soul. The world tells us to make ourselves happy is the ultimate goal. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not what will make you ultimately happy. What will make you ultimately happy is to connect your soul to God through His living Son, Jesus Christ. By saying yes to Him, by calling Him Lord of your life, by confessing the sins that have damaged your soul to Him and being honest about them in your own life, and by asking Him to come into your life to help get your will into the center of His, to help get your thoughts and your feelings where they should be, and to use your body in ways that glorify God so that your entire soul is connected with Him. And forget happiness, friends, that'll bring you joy. And joy is much deeper than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. I can be going through a horrible time and I can still have joy. Because my soul is connected to God.
and I have sought to connect myself to him and lift him up and not me up. You know, Jesus was once asked, and it was a trick question, of course, when they asked him. They said, hey, Jesus, um, what is the, the most important commandment? And Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, he said, Love the Lord your God, you know this, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus was ticking off that diagram that Dallas Willard put together of what the soul is? Your heart is your will. Your mind is your thoughts and your feelings. Your strength is your body. And your soul is the all-encompassing operating system that connects it all together. We are called to love Jesus in such a way and to such a level that our very souls sing. To love him with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And so I want to encourage you this week to think about your own life, to take that hard look in the mirror and be really honest about what's staring back at you. And are there places in your heart, the will, that you need to do a better job of asking the Holy Spirit to help connect you with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to rub off on you? Are there places in your mind where you need to make sure your thoughts and your feelings are guarded and protected? It's that old adage, garbage in, garbage out. We have to guard our hearts and guard our minds. With your strength, are you using your body to glorify God? And are you loving God with your whole soul? All of it being connected, being anointed, being one that is seeking him, that will bring you joy. Let's think about that. Amen? amen. And amen. Let me pray for us real quick. Come on up, Scott. Come on up. Gracious God, every one of us here today represents a soul. And you know us full well. You created us. You blew your breath into our nostrils. You formed us and knit us together in our mother's wombs. You know us full well. That is how intimate our relationship is with you. And so, Jesus, would you forgive us for those places where we have not helped to connect our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls with you? Forgive us for those places where we have kind of listened to what the world has to say and sought happiness in all sorts of ways that really do nothing to connect us with you and everything to really damage our souls. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to leave this place determined more than ever that we want to lean upon you. To lean upon you so that our hearts... The will that we have is in the very center of you. So that our thoughts and our feelings, they, they come from you and they lead us towards you. So that our bodies glorify you and point others towards you. Would you help us? 
to make our souls open to you so that we can be connected with you and shaped into the people that you've created us to be. Help us. We need you. We can't do it without you. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you put your hands together and thank Jay for a fabulous, fabulous message. That's the kind of message I need to hear. That's the kind of message I want to be a part of. Amen. And Jay, thank you uh, so much for your, your gift. Um, our, our church has given a check this week to the Global Methodist Church to help them in their mission to continue to do what God has called them to do on their very first day, our birthday. I'm glad to have Jay a part of our church here today. And uh, in just uh, uh, about 30 seconds, we're going to be dismissed, and we're going to go down to the Fellowship Hall, and uh, we're going to have uh, Subway subs. It's going to be really good, chips and Diet Coke. And then Jay is going to share a short presentation, and then we're going to have a lot of time for questions and answers, and I want you to be a part of that and join us. So uh, would you stand up across the auditorium? And I want to thank all those that are watching online. Thank you for being with us uh, today. I want to I wanna bless you. Let's get back in the habit of doing this again. Before we receive a blessing, when someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You stick your hands in your pocket? You fold your hands? No, you receive what God has for you today. I want to bless you today. May the Lord uh, bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God rub his anointing on you to be the people of God. In a dark world, I pray you'll be the light that shines brightly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week at 1030. And in the fellowship hall for uh, town hall. God bless you.